So let's go to James 1, and we're going to be going to verses 19 and 20 today. And we have it on the screen. Is there somebody who wants to read it? Or I'll ask Donna, because Donna is always helpful to read. <laughs> who wants to read? Josh? Go for it, Josh. Ah, Josh got his hand up before. All right. Read it for us, Josh. My dear, my dear brothers, uh, take note of this. Everyone should, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Thank you. Amen. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's good. Last week, we spoke about the word of truth that God has spoken over you since the beginning of creation. We, we talked about three words that God has spoken over your life. And the first one is that you, are, you exist because God has spoken creation into being. And he has looked through time and he's seen you and he said, I want you to exist. And that's a word of truth that God has spoken over you. And the second word of truth that God has spoken over every one of every human is when God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, he proclaimed that he wanted to be a part of our story. He wasn't content with us being separate and away and not a part of. He entered into a covenant with Abraham and spoke a word of truth, saying, I want to connect with humanity. That's the second word. And the third word, of course, is when Jesus came and paid the price for our sins, and rose from the dead, and, and God spoke a word of truth over your life, that you would not only be connected with God, but that he would be in you, and you would be in him. And it would be like you were one, just like Jesus says, Lord, let them be one as I and you are one. And so, God has spoken these words of truth over your life, and that's what we were talking about last week, but the reality is that speaking words of truth is not helpful if you don't hear them, right? You have to receive that word. You have to listen and receive that word. And so James begins to shift now into something a bit more practical, and he begins to talk about not just words that God has spoken, but he says, my dear brothers and sisters too, not just the brothers, the sisters need to listen too, right? This is would be a good a verse for for uh, if, if a wife is in an argument you know, with her husband, and she says, no, it says my brothers, see? So I don't have to listen, but you do. <laughs> my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen. We see uh, in Matthew 13, uh, if you want to go there with me, verses 1 through 9, Jesus is telling a parable. And he says, the word of God is like a sower who goes out into his field. And he begins to sow seed in his field. And some of the seed falls on rocky soil. And some of the seed falls on soil that has thorns in it. And some of the seed falls on the path. And other seed falls into good soil. And he says here in verse 8, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then what does Jesus say? He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. It doesn't do any good 
that Jesus is preaching truth if you don't listen to what he's saying, if you don't receive that word into your heart, if you're just like the, the hard beaten path that has so many people walked on it, and maybe even in your own life, so many people have walked over you that you've become callous to the word of God and you've shut down communications with other people and with God so that when the word of God is scattered on you, you can't receive it because you're not quick to listen. Be quick to listen, friends. So many times I think uh, because we have been hurt in the past, because we have been damaged, we're not quick to listen. We're quick to defend ourselves. We're quick to fight. We're quick to say something. Whenever you're in a heated conversation with somebody, catch yourself, ask yourself, am I listening to what they are saying? Or am I only trying to think up what I'm going to say next? Right? If you spend all of your time thinking of the great jab that you're going to give them at the end of, when they stop talking, you're not listening to them, and all it's going to do is produce more conflict. But if you would just stop and slow down and take your mind and put it to the side and listen to what they're saying, then that's where you'll be able to find resolution. That's where you're going to be able to find compromise. That's where you're going to be able to see from their eyes, the world from their eyes, so that you can properly understand what it is that they're saying. Uh, Hebrews 5, verses, I'm making Michelle go all over the place. Let's go to Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. This is a passage I think that some people often bring up, and it's, it's one uh, that I think is so important, because it touches on the reality of, uh, the reality of our state of maturity. This is what Hebrews 5 11 through 14 says. We have much to say about this, says the author of Hebrews. I got a lot I want to tell you. I want to tell you things, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. And in fact, in some uh, translations, it says slow to understand. In other places, it says you're slow to listen because you don't listen. I got a lot I want to tell you, but I can't because you're not listening. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Go ahead. The elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. And I know a lot of Christians, they say, oh man, I'm tired of the milk. I want to get on to the meat of doctrine. I want to, you know, I'm, I want to chew on the, the meat. But if you don't listen to what the author of Hebrews is saying, I think you'll think that you're a bit farther on than you are. <laughs> because what the author of Hebrews is trying to say here is that you haven't begun to put into practice the most basic elements of the faith. People come and they say, I want to know deeper truths about God. I want to know deeper truths about God. And I say, well, have you mastered love yet? Because if you haven't mastered love yet, you've still got a long ways to go. How can I talk to you about God's wrath or God's uh, omnipotence if you haven't understood love? If you haven't grasped that basic idea yet, 
But see, we kind of, we want to be farther along than we are, so we put our fingers in our ears, right? And we blow forward. Lord, give me everything, give me everything, give me everything. But we haven't stopped to listen. Many people hear the words that God has given them, but they don't listen. We often assume that we're much better listeners than we really are. One man said this. He said, one of the best ways to persuade others is by listening to them. Listening is a forgotten process. We need we, a forgotten practice. We need to resurrect the act of listening. Listening to each other, listening to God. Be quick to listen, says James. Because if you don't know where you are, but you don't want to listen, you're going to end up more lost than you were before. I was speaking with a guy uh, when I was in Shoreline Community College. It's a junior college up in Seattle. And I was taking some courses there working on my associates. And uh, there was a guy in one of the classes, and somehow we had taken up a conversation. Um, and, it, and it moved towards faith, and it moved towards the church. And he was very antagonistic about um, the church and the church's role and, and all this stuff and had some really big ideas about it. And I sat there for like an hour just listening to him, listening to him, listening. And I tried my best to put aside my, my desire to go into defense, you know. Something like the church, which is so precious to me, when it becomes under attack, my first inclination is to go to defense, right? Your faith, I'm sure, and maybe your, some ideologies that you have are so precious to you that when people come and attack those things, the first, your first impulse is defense. But I try my best to... To not, to not go there. I tried my best to put that aside and just to listen to what he was saying. So I spent like an hour of my time just sitting and listening. And in fact, later that night, he called me on the phone and we spent another hour listening And I, as I heard all of his ideas. And basically what it came down to was that he had been hurt by the church really bad. And he felt like the, it was the result of some of the bigger uh, you know, structural problems with the church, that the way that the church, the way that any church is run is a problem. And he, and he was very aggressive about it. And I realized near the end of his two hours that I agreed with a lot of what he was saying, that there are problems with the way that we do church, that, the, that there is possible. We allow abuse to occur. That we, the way that we've constructed ourselves is, it's not perfect. It's, it's not. I mean, we try our best, and I think that we do a good job, but we're not perfect. And so at the end of our conversation, when, when, he, st- when he felt like you know, he was calming down, and I said, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And he was just taken aback. He said, what? I said, yeah, I, I really do a lot of what you're saying. Now, I don't agree with all of it, but, but I think a lot of what you're saying is right. And he said, and he went back over his points. He said, well, you agree with this? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. Well, you agree with this? I said, yes, I, I agree with that. And you agree with this? And I said, no, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. But I do agree with these things. And he's like, well, I don't understand. Why is it that you agree with me so much? And I was able to say, well, look, here's the thing. The church is built by humans, right? We're trying to attain to something, but we are human. We need, that's why we need Jesus too. Pastors need Jesus too. We hurt people. That's a, that's a reality. That's a fact. We need Jesus, right? We're not perfect people. And I was able to, to share the gospel more intimately with this guy because I had taken the time to listen to him. Be quick to listen. And what James is talking about here isn't just about uh, a, an action, 
a behavior. He's not just talking about a behavior. The behavior is be quick to listen. But behind that is a deeper character development that we need to, that we need to uh, develop. And that is that insecure people are not quick to listen. Insecure people are quick to defend themselves. When they see an attack coming, they go to defense because they're afraid that something's going to rock their boat so hard that it's going to collapse. People who are secure in their faith, people who rely on Jesus, people who have built their house on a solid rock, are able to see the storm approaching and say, I don't have to jump to defense. My faith is secure in Christ. My life is secure in Him, so I'm free now to listen to what this person's saying. So the action is, be quick to listen. The character is, be secure in your faith. Rest in Jesus. Put your faith in him and not anyone or anything else. Next, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. That is a huge problem. (laughs) Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Social media, God bless it, has given us the opportunity to have a captive internet audience 24-7. And I think oftentimes we feel like it's our duty to speak as much as possible and to fill that space with our voice. There is something precious about being slow to speak. We need to learn to be slow to speak. What does it say in Scripture? Let's go to Proverbs. I took it out of my notes here, but I think I can remember it. I believe it's Proverbs 17. Nope. Oh, wait, here we go. Well, this isn't it, but this will work. Proverbs seventeen twenty, It says this, A man of perverse heart does not prosper, and he whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. And elsewhere in Proverbs it says it's best to hold your tongue if you want to avoid quarrels. The tongue is an incredibly powerful instrument. And those with deceitful tongues, those who let their tongues waggle a lot, find themselves often in deep trouble. We need to be slow to speak. I believe elsewhere in Proverbs it says, better to hold your tongue and have other people think you are wise than to speak and have people consider you to be a fool. There's a a great show, if you can find it, a, a, a documentary called Into Great Silence. If you get nothing out of this sermon, write down that, Into Great Silence. Into Great Silence. You can find it. It's a documentary. You can find it. Uh, I don't think it's on Netflix, but you can find it online or you might be able to find it on YouTube. And Into Great Silence is a documentary shot uh, with Carthusian monks. Carthusian monks. Uh, it's an order of monks. And I think that they're in France or Germany. And they have a, a principle, an ideal of silence. Silence is precious to these monks, so they don't speak really at all. Literally, you might get 10 words a day that they speak. And in fact, when this documentary maker wanted to make this documentary, he 
contacted them in 1984 and said, we would love to come and shoot a documentary about your life, about uh, you know, being a part of this monastery. And the monks said, give us some time to think about it. 16 years later, 16 years later, they contacted him again and said, we've thought about it. You can come and do the documentary. It took them 16 years to decide. That's how, that's how slow to speak this, this uh, order is. And if you watch it, it's incredible. There's no edited sound. There's no soundtrack or anything. That's just the lives of these monks as they go about their day and they're working and they're praying. Uh, the only music in it is from they, they sing during the meals. Um, they don't speak to one another. They barely speak to the documentary uh, maker. He was there for six months, and he got enough to make uh, like a, a one-and-a-half-hour film because there's just long stretches of silence, and it's called Integrate Silence. There's something that we've lost, and I think it's something that these monks have picked up on about the importance and the value of silence. Here's, here's how they look at it. The world does not spin based on me. Right? It was here yesterday. God was here yesterday. God is here today and God is here tomorrow. So I'm not going to add my voice as if I am in charge of the universe, as if I need to change everything in this world. Instead, I'm going to allow God to do his work and I will be silent. Now, of course, I'm not a monk, and I don't believe that you should take maybe a a vow of eternal silence. However, there's value to that. There's value in saying, you know, I've been in conversations, been in arguments before, where I realize the best thing for me to do is just to keep quiet and not say anything. Oftentimes, when somebody's pouring out their heart or an abuse that they've suffered, and I feel like I don't have anything of value uh, in, in terms of anything that's going to put a uh, band-aid over their wounds, I just don't say anything at all. Instead of offering a cliche or offering like, a, oh, well, you know, things will be brighter tomorrow or something like that, because you feel like this need to say something, sometimes you just need to be quiet. Sometimes you just need to be silent. To be next to somebody and to just be there for them. It's so much better than putting your foot in your mouth, which is something I often do. Be slow to speak, friends. At the end of this, we're going to have a a chance to practice some silence. Silence is a spiritual discipline um, that's, that's great. It's a wonderful spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines are things that in Christianity that we've developed over the centuries and millennia that are just sort of like, um, Uh, other ways to worship God, and silence is one of them, learning how to be quiet in the presence of God, not saying anything, simply being in the presence of God, and just listening and being quiet. So we're going to practice that a little bit later on. I'll let you prepare mentally before that. Be slow to speak, says James, and then lastly, be slow to become angry. Now, what's interesting, if you read this in Greek, what what it says is, um, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and those are constructed in Greek the same way. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then the last part is, and slow anger. And slow anger. Almost like James wanted to highlight this last idea, that this is an important idea. He made these first two similar, but now he's changing up his style a little bit. Be slow 
to anger, slow to become angry. When we allow our temper to get aroused, we cease to be helpful. When we allow our temper to get aroused, we cease to be helpful. One man said this, the worst tempered people I've ever met were people who knew that they were wrong. (laughs) Isn't that true? When we lose our temper, we cease to be helpful. In fact, and I think I've mentioned this before, in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement, um, uh, Martin Luther King, when he would come to a town, he'd come to Birmingham or he'd come uh, to a town and and they would do a a large protest. They would do a a march or they would do a sit-in or something like that. And before the march, before the sit-in, they would have a church service the night before and they would train everybody who was going to be a part of the Uh, protest, and one of the things that they would train them is they would go over these rules that you had to do, and one of the most important ones, and one of the last ones they would teach is, you cannot hate people either in action or in thought or in spirit. That means you can't even hate them in your heart. If somebody comes at you aggressively, you can't allow your heart to hate them, because once you allow your heart to hate them, then your mind begins taking over and your temper begins to be lost. And once you've lost your temper, you've lost your ability to control yourself. You've lost your ability to be that moral force, that good force, that godly force. And so you can't even hate people in your heart. That's a powerful message for us today. Because what happens when we lose our temper? When you lose your temper with your children or with your spouse or with the people around you. It scars that relationship, doesn't it? And as much as we try and apologize afterwards, as much as we try and make things right afterwards, there's always sometimes a seam where we've torn a bit, where our temper has gotten the best of us and we've allowed anger to scar our relationship. Eventually, after repeated anger, repeated losing our temper, we begin to become numb on an emotional level. and We begin to shut down, and the people that we're with start to shut down towards us. And we lose our ability to be open. We lose our ability to listen to one another. And we become like that hard-beaten path, which has taken so many hits that the seed, the word of truth, cannot be planted in it. So watch your anger Watch your anger. And somebody says, well, what happens? How, how, do I, how do I get rid of anger when I have it? When you start to become angry, go to God. What does Scripture say? I will avenge you, says the Lord. I have your justice in hand. Trust in me. Again, it's not just about your behavior. It's about your character. When we learn to trust God, that God is going to avenge us, that God is going to get our right, we can stay calm and allow God to move. Keep your temper. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The path of anger always is going to lead to destruction. That's what it leads to. There is no better path. There's no better way for it to go. It always leads to destruction. What are those areas of life that you have 
that cause you to be angry? Is there an area in your heart? Is there, a, is there something, even now, and this world is so chaotic, there's so many reasons to be angry, but is there something in your heart, is there something in your mind, something that just, it, it ticks you off, it gets the better of you, it makes you lose your temper. We all have anger. Anger is not necessarily an evil thing, but it can lead us down destructive paths. So what's that area of your life that causes you to be so angry? We're going to take that right now, and we're going to go to God, and we're going to ask that he would develop our character, that he would give us security, that he would be our avenger, and we're going to do it like this. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be silent. Now, in psychology, we learned that Americans really struggle with silence. And they say 10 seconds is about as long as Americans normally can endure with silence because we like noise. So we're going to go longer than 10 seconds. We're going to go for a while. And it's going to be hard for you, but you're going to learn something today. So take that anger, and we're going to present it before God, and we're just going to be in his presence lifting up that issue and listening to him and being with him. So wherever it is in your heart, let's enter into the presence of God together. Holy Lord, we come before you, bearing the things that make us angry. And Lord, we acknowledge that because of sin, there are a lot of reasons to be angry. We also acknowledge that anger leads us to a path of destruction. So, Lord, right now, as we are in your presence, I pray that you would begin to teach us, to transform us, that we might become more like Jesus. Hear us, O Lord, in our silence as we cry out to you, and attend to us, Holy Spirit.
as I was uh, putting together the sermon, uh, I was doing some research into the Carthusian order and found uh, something that one of the monks had written about silence, and it said, uh, we stay silent to emulate Christ in his holy quarantine. It was before all this had started. But I thought about that, his holy quarantine. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, away from anybody, away from people, not eating, not drinking. Silence. Silence is what he had. And maybe during this time, during this quarantine that we're in, maybe we should practice that more to emulate Christ in his own quarantine. Another thing that's uh, wonderful about the monastic orders is the one time that they do get to speak, the one time that they get to come together is when they're taking communion. Because this is a time when we need to be together, when we need other people around us. Um, And I'm encouraged that when we take communion, we take it with the church, with all others. If you need one, there are extras up here on some of the chairs. There's extras in the back, too. Um, But we're going to take communion together. This, of course, is an act which Jesus taught us to do. And uh, it says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. After he had eaten, he took some wine and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. Paul says, Whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, We are proclaiming Christ until he comes back again. I see a lot of people today, and I don't think because they're bad people, but I see a lot of people today showing the world our insecurities, the insecurity of our faith. A lot of people concerned about what will happen, about what will tomorrow bring. Friends, I will tell you what will happen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow and forever. That's what will happen. You'll still be here, and if we all die, we'll be with him there. That's what will happen. So I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. I'm allowing my faith to be built on the solid rock of Christ. I encourage you, encourage all of us, let's all have that. Let's all build our faith on Christ and Christ alone. Let me pray a blessing over you. Lord, I thank you so much for these, your people, for your church. 
And Lord, they have come together to worship you. Lord, to declare that you are holy and that you are righteous. And even in the midst of the storm that we find ourselves in, we recognize that you are our guiding star. Lord, that you cause the sun to rise in the morning and the moon to come out at night. Lord, that you cause the grass to grow. You cause even our very breaths to sustain our life. And so we know, we know that even if this whole world were to come apart at the seams, still you would be God and you would still be with us. Your word will still stand. Even though the world melts, your word will never fail. And we stand secure in that today. And I pray a blessing over these, your people, that you would bless them and that you would keep them, O Lord, that you would cause your face to shine upon them and give them a glorious day today and a glorious future tomorrow, that they would put their hope in you and that their hope would not be disappointed. In your holy name, Jesus, I commit them to you. Amen.